We can help people from the very beginning in terms of, I don't know where to start. Those are my favorite because then I set them up correctly, writing their book and then publishing it. And then also people who are looking for a publisher. We're one of the good guys. Hello there and welcome back to the My Future Business Show. So wonderful to have you with us. And before I go on today's show, I'd like to say thank you for everyone who has supported the show for uh, over the years. In fact, uh, reading your feedback is just wonderful. And for anybody who's new to the show, welcome. I know you're in for a treat. Now on today's show, I have the pleasure of welcoming best-selling author and CEO of Prominence Publishing, Suzanne Doyle Ingram. Welcome to the show, Suzanne. Thank you for having me, Rick. It's absolutely a pleasure to have you here. Now, you and I are going to talk about your latest best-selling book, Everybody Has a Book Except You, and the reasons why coaches, consultants, and entrepreneurs should write their own book and how writing a book can lead to more visibility, credibility, and revenue. Now, before we jump into, I guess, the core of the call, love to uh, learn a little bit more about you and where you're calling in from today. Sure, thank you. So... I'm calling in from Puerto Vallarta, Mexico today, actually. I am I was just explaining to someone earlier today, I'm a Canadian that works mostly with Americans, and I'm in Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I realized a while ago, you know when people say, I, I want to be able to work from home so I can work from anywhere, and I thought, I have a business where I can work from anywhere. Why am I sitting in the rain in Vancouver? <laughs> so I decided to sort of take the show on the road and... Uh, I love being here. I'm only here for three months. And then after this, I'm going to South America. So um, yeah, I'm having a great time. So tell us a little uh, bit about home, home itself, where you reside more often than not. Uh, usually I reside in a little tiny seaside town just outside of Vancouver, Canada. Oh, beautiful. It's only accessible by boat, which is the biggest problem because sometimes the boats get canceled. And, of but course. it's beautiful. Once you get there, it's beautiful. <laughs> and uh, there was a famous Canadian TV show called The Beachcombers that was filmed in my town. So anybody over about 40 or 50 years old, uh, they know where it is. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I work from the home there. I have a, a home overlooking the ocean. So it's really beautiful and peaceful place to live. But it's cold and it rains a lot. So I do like to seek <laughs> out sunshine and warmth whenever I can. Oh, I bet you do. Now, I bet you it's also such a nice place to just reflect. And um, is it inspirational for your writing or do you, do, do you find that you can write anywhere? Actually, I feel I can write anywhere. I love writing on planes because there's nothing else you can do. So no. a good old international flight is amazing. Um, <laughs> I mean, overseas, not international to the U.S. because that's pretty short, usually. Usually, Yeah, um, yeah I, it is, though. I mean, but I do find that as an author, you have to be able to have fierce focus and write from anywhere. Yeah, thank you very much for the feedback. Now, when you're not writing or traveling, do you have anything you enjoy doing? Do you have any hobbies or do you get involved with sports or community events? What's your thing? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I used to volunteer at the food bank quite a bit when I was home more, mm -hmm. but I have three kids and two of my oldest ones have moved out. And so I just have my youngest one and he's with me here in Mexico and he's homeschooling. He's finishing his last year of high school. So I'm busy with him. He does gymnastics and yeah, I mean, because we're traveling in all of our spare time, we're exploring Mexico, we're learning to speak Spanish, 
we uh, the only friends we have here are Mexican. Um, we just went to a, a show, like a play on Saturday night with our Mexican friends. And so it's been really, really lovely immersing ourselves in the community. And, you know, we just had a huge hurricane here. And so we were involved in the cleanup efforts and, and donating to, to people who needed, um, you know, clothing and yep. lots of, I donated a lot of baby supplies and things like that. Thank you for sharing. Now, I know that you're, uh, you can speak multiple languages now. How would that all come about? When did you realize that you have to have the gift to, to do such a thing? I could only imagine what that's like. Well, it's very confusing, actually. <laughs> <laughs> the other day I was sitting by the pool and the man came to deliver water. And I, I, the first thing I thought of was Japanese. Oh, like, really? Oh, <laughs> And then I was like, oh, my gosh, that is not the right country. Um, <laughs> Well, I learned French in school. In Canada, I went to a special school, so I learned French fluently. And then uh, I lived in Japan for three years uh, after I graduated from the University of Victoria because I needed to pay back my student loans. I needed to make oh, money. So I lived in Japan. <laughs> and I loved that. That was really cool. And then um, my partner is European, and so we spent a lot of time in Europe, and he's also got the travel bug. So... I think between the two of us, we speak eight languages, so it's oh, pretty goodness. cool. Yeah, that's wild. Now, tell uh, tell me, I know that when I'm traveling international, as much as I'd like to write the entire time, I sometimes just like to zone out watching a good movie. Do you do the same thing? Um, yes, but my problem is right now I'm watching a show in French and a show in Japanese, and I don't know why I do that to myself. <laughs> I just should be focusing on Spanish, but I do, but... You know, I don't watch a lot of TV at all. I'm, no. I am a re huge reader and I have to read so many books for work <laughs> before part of my publishing company. I'm reading about 150 books um, a year. But, you know, my big, juicy, like total self-care indulgent thing is to <laughs> read like a good old Michael Crichton book or like oh, a yes. spy novel. <laughs> I love fiction so much, but I don't have a lot of time to read it. So so it's true. Like on planes, I'll say to myself, okay, I have nine hours. I'm going to do four hours of work and then I might watch a movie, but, um, and then I like to read fiction. So tell me, you know, I can remember as a young child, um, my mum reading me books and my grandma reading me books. Do you remember the first book that they ever read to you? Well, that's a kind of a crazy story because I have two older brothers and both of them had learning disabilities. And so, they were three years older than me and five years older than me. Yep. So when my brother, my oldest was eight years old, my oldest brother, I was only three. And my mom was just doing an amazing job getting special books for them and working so hard trying to teach them how to read that I accidentally learned how to read at three years old. And I remember being confused about it because my mom would try to stop me and she would let me read, but behind my brother's backs, I'd always thought it was a shameful thing for years. I thought it was shameful. And then I realized why is because she didn't want to make them feel bad. But oh. my first book was <laughs> called puppies and kittens. And, um, it's yeah i was just one of those weird kids <laughs> but i have to say you know i'm no genius i'm really good at languages and reading and writing and all that stuff but terrible at math so you know we all have our strengths and weaknesses. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you there absolutely and i'm not great at math either but tell me i know that when we're children we have so many good times that we go through or the majority of us do at least what's one childhood memory that you can recall and share with us that is really fond for you oh one in particular well Growing up, I lived at the beach 
and uh, in a little town, not the same one I live in now, but not that far away, um, outside of Vancouver. And it was like being on vacation every day. And in the summertime, my dad, my parents were divorced, which obviously was very sad, Mm. but I saw my dad all the time. And so he kept his boat at the marina and he would come along in his boat and he would come up, he could, he could come as, as low as about three feet of water. And so he would just beep on his horn. And my friends and I would be about 12 or 13 years old. We'd be down at the beach, just hanging out on the sand. And then we'd see my dad's boat and we'd swim out to the boat and hop on. And he would have like soda pop Uh, and chocolate bars. uh, And I just thought he was like the coolest dad ever. Yes, <laughs> and it was such a beautiful way to spend time with my dad and i realized how privileged that was and it yeah. was it was lovely you know it was really great and now this is what i love about the my future business show and i think this is what sets us apart because we go into i guess the lives behind the business owners and i think that's really important for context so know that we appreciate uh, you sharing thank you very much suzanne now tell mm-hmm. me uh, when you're growing up in those formative years and you had your mum your dad presumably your grandparents around you um, in those formative years did you look to anybody so you know for guidance and did they help you become the person that you've become today mm. well I always admired my mom because she was a single mom yeah and you know back in those days they didn't really I don't think they did joint custody I don't nobody I knew did that in fact I was the only kid of a divorced family that I knew of and so I saw my mom work three jobs to provide for her kids and I just thought you know she never complained um she would she would do all this extra work so that we didn't go without and yeah. I, I had so much admiration for that and it made me realize that you know the 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 expression i like is the harder i work the luckier i get of you know course, she yes. she was pretty she still is pretty amazing um and and so she was one of my one of my mentors for sure and then i have to say you know a lot of my university professors especially you know working women i I never thought, I always knew I would work and yep. I, I didn't think I would stay home and just bake cookies. You know, it just wasn't for me. Of course, that's a beautiful thing Thank for other do. people yeah, to yeah. do. But yeah. I just, oh, I was brought up by somebody who worked and I just thought, I just assumed that's what you do, right? So I thought I would work too. So I guess, you know, just watching how other people balance. And I looked at other, I looked at married my friend's parents, like married people thinking, okay, that looks, that looks, I like the way they communicate. Like, I want to, I want to look at this. I want to understand how this works. And I was kind of an inquisitive kid that way. Yeah, thanks again for sharing. No, I, I always wonder about this um, because we look at the, I guess, life philosophies and processes and the way an entrepreneur, entrepreneurs should be thinking, especially there's a lot of startups that listen into the show that are looking for people who have walked the path before them to get this sort of guidance. And you certainly have some experience to share. Now, tell us a little bit about um, what your daily routine looks like. Is there a, is there a routine or is it just as it comes? Oh no, I have a routine. I have a routine. I was saying to myself this morning, I'm a disciplined person after I went for my long sweaty walk <laughs> this morning. Um, so I prioritize uh, health. I think that the most important thing in life is first your health and then your family, which might sound terrible, but if you're not alive, you can't take care of your family. No. Um, you, if you have, you know, you put your back out, you can't even play with your kids. So. No. 
I, it took me a long time. I remember I published a book uh, a few years ago about self-care and I started laughing because I'd never heard of the expression self-care. And I went, oh my gosh, is that a real thing? Like, that's hilarious. Because <laughs> I was not taking care of myself at all. Um, so my daily routine, um, I get up before 7 a.m. 7 a.m. is a sleep-in. So it, it's usually before 7 a.m. Yep. Um, and then I have a coffee. Got to have a coffee. <laughs> and then I exercise. It's either a five kilometer walk or strength training with weights at the gym. So I work out with weights three times a week. And also where I live now in Mexico, first I have to walk there for 15 minutes and walk home. So I also do like about a 3K walk to the Every gym. And back. Yeah. So, that's, so uh, you know, I, I find that uh, this is almost typical of uh, driven people that they do need these routines, but also they also value um relaxation time away from their businesses is that important for you 100 percent, absolutely for me it usually is something to do with the water so swimming or getting on a boat or getting on a paddle board which i have at home um i love the water and i realized one day it's actually that this is going to sound really weird but it's the feeling of gliding that i love so i also love skiing and i like sledding and something on ice skating Beautiful. you know yeah i love that feeling um i also listen to meditation apps at night before bed not all the time but mm -hmm. if i can't if i wake up in the middle of the night and i can't sleep i'll listen to a meditation and put me right back to sleep um and then for the rest of my day after my workout obviously i shower <laughs> <laughs> and then i have a calendar that um, i use a time blocking technique which i also teach my clients my my authors because you can't a book won't just happen you have oh, to plan no. for it to happen, <laughs> you know so time I, my calendar is completely blocked off with everything that i'm doing um, whether it's working on my social media posts or working on my own book, book of the month or whatever I'm working on at the time or working on other clients' stuff, teaching classes, coaching. Busy, um, busy, busy. I, yeah, yeah, it's busy. It's busy. But I try to work less than 40 hours a week. Usually, I have to admit, I, I only work about 30 hours a week maybe. Yeah, so. I, there, there are some classic books around, timeless books, I guess you'd say, you know, uh, Think and Grow Rich would be one that comes mm. to mind and The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People is another. Do you um, ever think reading those is a valuable um, thing for people to do when they're starting out in business? Yes and no. Mm. I think that self-development is really important, but I think it can be distracting for people sometimes if they get too into it. Um, yeah. With my clients, when I'm teaching people how to write a book, I call it getting stuck in the getting ready to get ready phase. Sometimes you just have to rip off the Band-Aid and you have to really dig in and start going. Right? Yep. So, um, you know what I mean by that? I mean, I think, for example, there's a there's a book called The Miracle Morning, which is a great book, right? And I remember being interviewed on a podcast one time and the fellow was saying to me, the first 90 minutes of every day, I do this much meditating and I do this basically doing the miracle morning yep. and i said to, at the time i had i had younger kids and i said to him well that's nice if you're a man and i thought oh my gosh this podcast is never going to air oh. because i'm just completely <laughs> and i said i'm a mom like i yes. cannot ignore my children for the first 90 minutes of the day no. they will be knocking on the door they won't let you <laughs> or will come into the shower with me and go mom mom yeah mom, yeah mom. yeah i so, see it every day you know, <laughs> So I think, and also we tend to look at these people that write these books as so incredibly successful, mm. you know, even, you know, 
I can't even think of a, an example right now, but they, then we measure ourselves up against them and we go, oh my gosh, you know, yeah. I slept in today. I didn't go to the gym. Now I failed. And, and you know, you've got to have grace with yourself. You have to have grace. On the mornings when I don't walk, I do try to walk um, in the, like after dinner is a really good time to walk. That's what the, all the Italians do. You know, they take a walk yeah. after dinner. It's very good for your health and good for you. So, you know, I don't want to come across like I'm obsessive about it because I think that also can lead to destructive behavior where you're so hard on yourself. you got to love yourself and you got to give yourself grace. I'm absolutely loving this feedback, as I'm sure that my future business audience is as well. Now, I think about my children and their development and what I would like to leave them in terms of, I guess, mindset, life philosophies. What would you like to leave with your children? Oh, my gosh. How much time do you have, Rick? I, have, <laughs> I um, yeah. It's so a tough I, one. I, I, I like to disappoint my children. And I'll explain what that means. <laughs> I don't like making life easy for my kids because I want them to be able to participate fully in life. So, yep. you know, like right now, it's six o'clock at night where I am. <clears throat> my son is at his gymnastics in Mexico, in a foreign country, and he's gonna walk home at 7.30 in the dark. And I think to myself, am I crazy? You know, everybody talks about how dangerous Mexico, yeah, Mexico is, but we live yeah. in a residential neighborhood. We know a lot of the neighbors and I've checked in with him many times and I've checked in with my Mexican friends and they're like, no, it's totally fine, Suzanne, don't worry about it. And my son feels really fine with it too. Um, and so I also have done things like when my daughter got a part in a play, she was so excited. She was about eight years old. She sat down at the kitchen table with her highlighter and her script and she was just getting ready to highlight all of her lines. And she opened up the book and she found her line and her first line and she highlighted it <laughs> and she went through the whole rest of the script and there were no other lines and she sat there and cried and cried and and I thought I, if I want her to stop crying I can phone that director and I can say who do you think you are mister my daughter is a star and she deserves to have more <laughs> lines in the play and and uh, you know yeah, yeah. that right Cotton but wool. I said to her I said to her oh that's awful that must feel so disappointing. You know, I wonder what's up with that. She's like, I don't know, but I thought I was going to have more speaking things. And I was like, I know, that's horrible. So I said, well, if you want, maybe we could go talk to him and just see if there's any way that you might be able to have some more lines. And so I, I want to coach my kids through, like, getting the, you know, I don't want to say getting their way. Coach my kids through asking for what they want, but not making it all happen for them. I don't want to hand my kids their lives on a silver platter. It actually drives me nuts when people do that. Yeah. I don't sell my kids raffle tickets for them when they have to sell raffle tickets for school. You no, do. get on your bike and go door to door <laughs> and sell See the raffle tickets. Yeah, bye-bye. Yeah, yeah. Independent. Um, yeah, and, and just, you know, I, I, can't, I can't fight their battles for them. And I'm sure that's, many people think that that's, horrible parenting. I honestly, I told my kids the other day, I don't know what I'm doing half the time. We just make it up. We don't know. <laughs> um, you know, and as it turned out when my daughter did meet with the director and she said, I was really hoping to say more things in the play, you know, in her little kid way. He's like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. That was just a misunderstanding. Of course, we've got all this other, we've got all these other lines for you. There so you go. instead, you gotta have your kids 
speak up and ask for what they want. Because I always say to my kids, it's amazing how many yeses you can have. But if you never ask for what you want, it's always going to be a no. Yeah, that's great for you. But sage advice. Now, I wonder, given how many books you read, do you ever give yourself uh, time for audiobooks? Are they a thing for you? Actually, never listen to audiobooks. No. I don't know why. I, I feel like the only time, the only sort of like idle time I would have would be on my walks. And I actually don't really like to listen to anything on my walks. This morning I was listening to the birds and I was thinking my own thoughts. <laughs> it's, but, you know, um, it's, it's funny, you know, there's this, there's this trend right now and my kids alerted it to me and I was just astounded by it is that there, some influencers are walking around with no headphones, no phones and, and making it sound as if they've created this new movement. Hang on. You know, I don't know. There was a time when we grew up where we didn't have these devices and that was normal. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's so funny. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, look at me. <laughs> now, I saw you speaking on stage. You know, for me, public speaking, I have to say, I would, I would try to embrace it, but I reckon my fear would take over. How was it for you? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, I love it because I love to share with the audience. You know, if it's if it's a, an audience of, you know, women entrepreneurs, I'm able to say, here's how you can write a book or depending on the audience, you know, what they're looking for, what the talk is about, how to write a book or how to get published or all those sorts of things, what to do with your book. Yeah. Um, I just feel like I I am so lucky that it this book stuff comes easy to me because a lot of other things don't. And so it's my responsibility to share what I know so that other people don't have to struggle. And, you know, I see a lot of people getting ripped off in this industry. And oh, yeah. So I do get nervous for sure. I do get nervous, but I know my stuff. I can speak off the top of my head. I could do it in my sleep. I know my stuff. So I know that I'm going to just come from a heart-centered place and show up and, and share with my audience so that they can you know, if I can help them in any way, then I'm happy to do that. There's certainly a lot of questions I have to ask you about uh, the work that you are doing. And one of them would be um, when you do a, a physical book, um, what do you think about, you know, uh, audio, uh, sorry, um, like PDF versions or flip book uh, digital versions? Are they a thing or are you all about the hardback or the softbacks? That's a great question. You know, nobody's ever asked me that. Thank you. Um, <laughs> You're so it depends on the situation. I think every, every, everybody needs a paperback and a Kindle yep. for sure. Um, sometimes people want the information right away. So they want to get that Kindle in their hands right, you know, instantaneously. Yep. And then the paperback is really, really great. If the, most of the authors I work with are, you know, business owners and business professionals that want to be able to kind of use it like a, a business card, you know, like a leave behind, you know, yep. architects and realtors and mortgage brokers and those people say, here's a copy of my book, you know, um, and coaches too. So paperback for sure. But the PDF, I, 99% of the time, I do not agree that you should say, I'd like to give you a copy of my book and give them a PDF because I think it's not valued. It just sits and hides on someone's C drive on their computer. They don't value it. They don't think of it as if, whereas if they get, you know, a paperback book, a tangible in the mail, book. Kind of to, yeah, it's tangible. It's, this is like a $20 gift they just gave me, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I also think that nowadays somebody could rip you off and they could print that book. Um, Absolutely. So we don't want that either, right? So we, we, I just, I, I shock my authors all the time because they say, oh yeah, I'm going to give my book to 25 of my top clients. And I say, okay, wait a second. Are you talking about 
mailing them a copy or are you talking about emailing them the PDF? And they kind of go, uh, them the PDF. Do not. They will not value it. How many PDFs do you have on your computer? Oh, no. <laughs> sitting there that you can get around to you one day. But if it was a table, in, or sorry, a book on the table right in front of you, um, then you would value it. So for flip books, flip books, I think they're really cool. We actually give them to our clients to preview what their book's going to look like before ah, it goes live. Yep. Um, it depends. You know, like if I think if you were a realtor and you wanted your book on your website, then go right ahead and put the flip book on there. But, you know, you want to be able to capture their email address, right? So That's you can follow up. One. Yep. Yeah. So there's print on demand and uh, I, I wonder, you know, that's really changed the world. But I always think about when I ask that question, you've got um, self-publishing and going through a traditional publisher. Which one do you prefer to promote? Well, um, we are a company. We do sort of in between like hybrid publishing. Um, yep. It's, so here's the thing. I say to people, if you want to get traditionally published, I totally understand because it comes with a, a big, you know, credibility, if you will, right? So mm -hmm. Collins published me or whatever, right? Yep. However, if you don't have a million followers, it's going to be on, on social media, it's going to be very difficult because they want a sure thing. And, and I have to break some hearts sometimes because a lot of people think their book is really, you know, the next big thing, but they literally have 200 followers on social media. And I'm, I'm sorry, but they will, traditional publisher won't touch you. It doesn't matter if it's the best book that has ever graced this earth. They won't touch you. Won't touch now, you. on the other side of the coin, self-publishing is amazing. I love it, but it has to be done professionally. I've seen some people that don't want to spend any money whatsoever on professional editing, cover design, and typesetting, and their book looks absolutely terrible. They literally have no page numbers, no table of contents, and it can ruin your reputation. It can be a bit trashy, can it? Yeah, it just looks so bad. And especially if you have a high profile brand, your website looks beautiful and, you know, you look really professional and then you come up with this book and it's like, oh, honey, like, why didn't you get some help? So that's why we're kind of like a middleman where we help guide people to do it professionally and properly. And I always say my job is to make the authors look good so I can have a little tough love with them and say, don't do that. Do this instead. And it'll make you look good. Now, I'm a big software advocate, and I see a lot of uh, AI-driven software out there that claims to be able to write books at a click of a button using AI. Tell me your thoughts on this. Oh, my gosh. I'm starting to <laughs> I'm sweating. Um, <laughs> so I think AI is a very great tool in many, many ways. And sometimes I'll, I'll use it myself if I think, like, oh, my gosh, i got to do a LinkedIn post today. Hey, you know, chat GPT, like, Give me three things an author needs to do while they're writing their book or something like that. Yeah, and yeah. just give me the little ideas and then I write up myself. But you cannot use AI to write a good book if you want your name on it and you want it to represent you. Because when I'm teaching business people how to write a book, we really go deeply before they even write their outline. We go deeply into who you're writing it for. What do you want this book to do for you? Mm -hmm. What are some of the ways that you have helped people transform as a result of working with you? And all these really personal things that chat GPT cannot Just can't do. do it. No. Yeah. If you want a generic book about, you know, how to wash your dog and then just throw that on Amazon, that's fine. But I'm not about um, 
selling volume books. I'm about yeah. having the book sell you and getting more clients as a result of a book. So I'm probably not the right person to ask for that. There's lots of other people that'll tell you. Oh, no, you're perfect to ask for it. Thank today, you. No, um, I think it's absolutely relevant that you answered that question. I appreciate that you did. Now, I, I think it's a great segue into my next question because I know one thing that ChatGPT and the likes cannot do and will never be able to do is tell your true authentic story. How important yes. is storytelling in the books that you create? Um, very, very important. But I do believe it has to relate to your book topic. So yep. the way I teach people how to write books is to, we, once we, we do the outline, but I also have them seed in about themselves, seed in little points of credibility, points of vulnerability, um, inspirational stories that, that uh, stories about their clients that they've worked with and the results their clients have had and things like that. And definitely telling your authentic story, but the book can't be all about you. No. So I, I'm, I hate to break it to you, but the book can't be all about <laughs> you because when you think about the reader journey, I teach a lot about what's in it for the reader. This person that you've never met is deciding when they look at your book, if they're going to give you five to 10 hours of their time, right? Yep. Everybody's time is so precious. They better get something out of your book. I mean, unless you're, you know, if you're Oprah Winfrey, you're writing a book about yourself. That's as a celebrity type of autobiography. That's different. But like, no offense, if you're, you know, Susie Brown from Chicago and you're an architect, um, the book can't be all about you. It really has to be about the clients that you work with. And and of course, I'm just talking about the way that I teach people. Yes, how to yes. yep. And I don't teach fiction. And these are really specific books that business people can use as a lead generation tool for their business. But um your authentic story has to be in there. Your story matters. And people want to do business with you because they like you. And yeah. so when you think about how people find you, I always think about your business as a highway with on-ramps, right? And so yeah. you being on a podcast interview is an on-ramp. You writing a book is an on-ramp. You know, what you posted on LinkedIn today is an on-ramp. That's how they find you. And so when they read your book, they feel like they know you. We want them to feel like they know you and they like you and they trust you. You know, we say the no like trust factor. Mm -hmm. Some people might not resonate with you and that's perfect because they're not going to waste your time because they're going to go away, <laughs> you know? Self-selection. Exactly, exactly. So exactly the right fit people will be drawn to you and they'll say, what else does this person have that I can, oh, I might listen to her on a podcast or she has a course I can take or maybe I can book a strategy call with her and maybe I want her to sell my house or groom my dog or give me coaching on whatever it might be, be a better whatever, you know. See, it makes me think about, uh, you know, I know given your approach to book writing, I wonder if it's ever valid um, for new authors that are working with you to actually go ahead and create an, or, an audiobook version or a course or something else that's complementary to that book uh, that supplements what they've done with their book and all the effort that they make. Is that a valid thing? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. I always say, okay, let's just focus on the book first yep. <laughs> because if we say, I'm going to do a workshop or you can do a course and you can do this uh. and that, then it's, <laughs> you know, it's too much. So we focus yep. on the book first and then you can, you, you can actually most of the time use the outline for your book as the outline for your course, your online course. Yep. Um, and then in your book, here's a million dollar tip in your book, have a link 
to a landing page, you know, that is, you know, your website, I'll call them slash book, uh, a landing page where they can get more information, but they opt in. So you build your mailing list. Usually when someone buys a book, you can never follow up with them because they don't, you don't know who they are, right? Yep. People often think that Amazon will give you the, your list of buyers. That is absolutely not true. You not do true. not know who buys your book on Amazon. So having, you know, worksheets they can download or having like a bonus chapter or like you said, having a, a little mini video course that goes with the book. Yep. You know, don't spend another year doing that. Literally do it in a weekend. Get it done. Get it don't, out there. Don't freak out over it. Um, but having someone opt in to get more from you is, is just absolutely fantastic way to do things so non-fiction authors seem to have this um uh, expiry date on their book how important is it for people to be updating authors to be updating their books as things change that's a good point um what i love about print on demand is couple things, two things. One is you can change your book anytime, re-upload it. It'll be live on Amazon within 24 to 48 hours. Yeah. That's if you don't use a traditional publisher, <laughs> if you use someone like me <laughs> or, you know, someone like me or do it yourself. Right. So there's that. But also I always want to make sure that my authors don't have, like when I said, directs people to a landing page that you control. Don't have dead links in there. Don't have links that might just expire one day. Um, and you can always do an updated version uh, every couple of years. But also what I love about print on demand is you don't have to have a warehouse full of a thousand books. Yes. That is one of my biggest pet peeves. I makes me so mad, so mad <laughs> when someone says, my publisher is printing a thousand books for me. And I go, your publisher is actually a printing company. Run away. You know, yes. it makes me so mad. There's no reason to, I have so many people that come to me that say, can you help me sell 900 books that have been sitting in my garage for six years? Uh, and it's, just, it's heartbreaking, Rick, because oh, yeah. they, they spend too much money and I don't like people to spend money that they don't have to spend. So with your print on demand book, you can just have 20 or what 50 on demand. Right. Do just you, what you need. Do you think that um, business owners should make it standard practice to actually provide or send email? Not sorry, um, actually physically mail a copy of their books to their customers? Uh, yes and no. But here's what I like to do. Here's what I recommend. I'm giving you all my million dollar ideas. Oh, today. I know you. Are. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but what I suggest that people do is email their clients and say, hey, Sally, um, I'm excited to tell you that I just wrote a book and I would love to send you a copy. As you know, one of the ways that I build my business is through referrals. So if, I, if, I, if, if you know anyone that might benefit from my services, please pass the book on to them. And then Sally has to reply to the email. You have to get the person to engage with you and say, heck yes, I would love that. And then you say, oh, what's your current mailing address? Da, da, da. You go back and forth, back and forth. Then you're top of mind with them. You might not have worked with Sally for a while, right? She might be an old client. Um, yep. And then she might also say, by the way, I was thinking of contacting you because I need my, I need my back cracked or, you know, whatever your, your Yeah, whatever it is. Yep. Um, and, you know, you, you can really waste a lot of money just willy nilly. You know, someone gets a book in the mail, all of a sudden they're like, what is this? What is this? And it catches them <laughs> off guard. Bit random really want to have that that engagement with them before you start. so you know we've just touched on um, the money that's involved in these things but there's also the free route um when is there a time for free um if it's traditionally has been a paid paid book pardon me like if you were traditionally um 
selling your book that you've created is there oh, ever a time that you would give it away like just yes. as per the example i've just i guess talked about yes absolutely i i, I wasn't sure what where you were going there no, no, thank no. You for <laughs> so yes giving away your book for free is a great idea to past clients um if you like people get caught up in the idea of i'm gonna sell a million books i'm gonna make a billion gazillion dollars i gotta sell books gotta sell books but you know if you understand what your average customer value is, like if you're a coach that sells a $3,000 package, you know, coaching yeah, yeah. package, and one new client is worth $3,000 to you, why wouldn't you just try to get one new client with your book rather than try to sell books all day and suddenly have a new job, right? So, <clears throat> yes, and I had a client once. She wrote a book um, on a college admissions guide on how to get uh teenagers you know into college yep. and so she ran a facebook ad um just in her area just for targeting parents of teenagers saying would you like a free copy of my book and then they said yes and then they went to a landing page they had to put in their name their mailing address and their phone number and then she would phone them and she would say thank you don um, I'd love to give you a coffee memo. Matter of fact, I'm going to be in your area on Tuesday afternoon. Can I drop the book off? Well, she freaked out and had to turn it off because she got too many leads. Oh. <laughs> so, you know, when you think of what her consulting fees are, forget about trying to sell books and just give the book away. So it depends away. on the person. Yep. Um, but, but, you know, I, I, I think that sometimes I shock people because they're whole life they've thought about they've dreamed about writing a book and they've dreamed to be about being on the oprah winfrey show and they've dreamed about books like eat pray love and they think it's going to change the world and they're going to sell a million books and i go i flip it around and i go but what if you didn't but what if you didn't there you go there's <laughs> reality what if there's another way what if you could make i think it was mike mccallowitz that said i made a million dollars with my book and only 10,000 of that came from book sales. The books, you know? yeah. I love yeah. it. Great feedback. This, there is so much gold in this call. Thank you very much for, for sharing. I have a few more mm -hmm. questions for you. I, I wonder about sizes of books. Is there a preferred size that fits better than others? Yes, six by nine. Six inches six by, by nine, nine inches, the industry standard. And sometimes people want to get cute and they want to do like, I mean, let me just rephrase that. If you're doing a workbook, sometimes an eight and a half by 11 or eight by 10 is a good yep. idea, right? Yep. Um, I do not recommend spiral bound. Everybody thinks it's great. So, oh, but my, my reader wants to lay the book flat. I'm like, no. but they don't want to feel like they're in 1982. Okay. Oh, school. Yeah. So, <laughs> and Amazon won't, Amazon won't do print on demand for spiral bound books. So you, there's a problem with that too. Um, so through, through KDP anyways. Yep. Um, but so I go with six by nine because sometimes what happens too is you'll have an, a distribution deal that comes along later and they're like, oh, we can't distrib distribute your book because it, it's a weird size. Yeah. So, I mean, we do sometimes we do seven by 10. If it's, you know, I just did a book the other day, it was 338 pages and I was like, oh my goodness, we probably should have made it a seven by 10. Um, <laughs> just for, but, just for font size. <laughs> I love yeah. this. Um, you know, I, I often, I, I'm not sure where I heard this from Suzanne, but um, somewhere along the line, I heard that 80% of our marketing dollar um, is spent in the headline. How important is the title of your book? Oh, it's really important. Again, it can't be cutesy wootsy. Like you can't say something like ring a dingle to the tune. And yeah. then it's like, what is, your, what, what is that about? What is, no, what's that for? You know, you know, so my newest book is called 
everybody has a book except you. And I, I know it's it. really cheeky. I So I just kind of actually cringe every time I say it because I'm like, oh, is that mean? <laughs> um, no, it got me. I'm thinking, oh. <laughs> Pardon me? Yeah, it absolutely got me. And that's what sort of inspired me to ask that question. And what is the creative process that you would take a client through struggling to come up with the title? Or do they have well, to do it themselves? It goes back to who their ideal reader is. What right. are they looking for? What are the things that go through their mind? Um, we, I have a technique I use where we, I, I can't give this one away to you. It's only for my no, clients, but we go enough. on Amazon and we research <laughs> certain other things. Um, there's, there's, there's work that goes into it for sure. And sometimes, you know, it's not, it's not the, it doesn't come from the author because the author is really thinking from the author point of view. And it's very difficult for them to think from the reader's point of view, you know? So, the title doesn't have to come first. As a matter of fact, when people come to me and they say, I've been thinking about writing a book for 10 years and I haven't started yet, but I know the title. I think, oh dear, that's not good. <laughs> it's, it's just this sort of fantasy that they've had about their title and it's really not what the market is looking for. And you know, Amazon is a search engine. It is a search engine. So you have your title and you have your subtitle. And if you can put one or two of your keywords into the title or subtitle, you're going to get found more often. You're going to get more eyeballs on your book. That's just the way it is. So if you call it something like um, the electricity effect, do's and don'ts of this and that, like no one's ever going to find you. You're not sure about that one. I wonder, we have lots of people in different industries tuning into the My Future Business show. Do you think a book would fit into any industry? Yes, I do. I've racked my brain for the last 13 years to think of a, an industry that it wouldn't work for. I think even a funeral home owner would be lovely for them to have a book to give to people who have suddenly lost a loved one and don't know what to do next. That would be a great book. I've had chiropractors, dog trainers. I even once had a shaman. Um, just anybody, anybody could write a book. Although I don't work with people who are, you know, hateful or awful. <laughs> no, of course a, not. Write a book, but no, not doing that. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Again, this is a golden call, one of the best that we've had in a long time. Now, I notice that you offer some free training. Where can people find that? Well, if they want to learn how to write a book, they can go to prominencepublishing.com slash free, F-R-E-E. -E, yep. And yep. that is how they can find a, a free training that I have on there. Um, but, you know, people are welcome to book a strategy call with me and talk about their ideas and see how we can help them. We can help people from the very beginning in terms of I don't know where to start. Those are my favorite because then I set them up correctly, writing their book and then publishing it. Um, and then also people who are looking for a publisher. We're one of the good guys. <laughs> Our prices are really reasonable. We're not the $85,000 people. Um, we're not even the $20,000 people. So um, it's, 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 we're, we're definitely one of the good guys. So you can contact me through my website. I'm, I'm actually lucky because my name, Suzanne Doyle Ingram, is one of a kind. You can find me anywhere. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course you can. No, I, I wonder, given how many people you've served and you've basically transformed their businesses and their lives in many respects, how does it make you feel? How oh. satisfying, how good is it to see somebody actually publish that book and get it out into the world? Well, I literally have tears in my eyes right now. It makes me feel amazing. And I... I, I actually sometimes still a little bit suffer from imposter syndrome because I think maybe it's just luck. But then I go, no, I've helped a thousand Volumes. people. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. It's not luck. I know what I'm doing, you know. <laughs> um, 
but I love, I love sometimes even just getting someone from idea to publish book and the, and seeing the joy that they have just like holding their book going, I can't believe I did this. That's one thing. But then what comes after is also so fulfilling. Like we had this woman named Joni Higgs. She wrote a book on how to do meditation and it was tough helping her through her book because she kept coming up with, yeah, but you know, yeah, Deepak but. Chopra just wrote a book on that. And now no one's going to want to like my book. And I was like, don't worry about it. Like there's an audience out there. But we just had someone come to Prominence Publishing a little while ago asking how to buy bulk books because this book changed his life. He learned how to meditate and he wanted to buy books and give them away to people. Things like that. You know, I've had yeah. people who literally, you know, quit their day job and, and have gone on to speaking and creating courses and and I, it makes me so happy that I can do this. So, so, so happy. The, the key is that you got to do the work. You know, you do the work. it's not just fairies falling from the sky and throwing money at you. There, There no. is some hard work. But I call Absolutely. it the juicy stuff. I'm like, after the, the book comes up, the juicy <laughs> stuff happens. Well, look, again, I've, I've said it before. I'll say it again. This has been a golden call. If you're on this call today and you want to learn more about Prominence Publishing uh, and all of the work that there is and the training, the coaching and everything else and the onboarding process that you'll go through, you know, you can reach out to Suzanne and her wonderful team at Prominence Pub Publishing. I'll be making sure that that link is available below this call. And with that being said, Suzanne, thank you so very much for joining me on the My Future Business Show today. Thank you so much for having me.